Okay, go ahead and open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 2. Alright, so what we're going to look, do tonight is, is do part two of the lesson we did almost a month ago on bibliology. We did a kind of, I did an introduction to systematic theology, and then we started into bibliology using our doctrinal statement, just kind of walking through the first two paragraphs. What we're going to do today is to continue that, and uh, should be able to wrap that section up. So remember that theology is simply the study of God. So if you're a Christian, then you're a theologian. So it's not a matter of if you're a theologian, it's just a matter of what type of theologian. Are you being a good theologian or uh, that's diligent or one that's careless, not giving much time to the study of God? So the more accurately that you know God, the more accurately or the more fervently we'll say you give off the aroma of Jesus Christ. You may not have thought about your life and your language as an aroma. You know, we, um, we have people that are using all sorts of senses, the, the essential oils and fragrances, and sometimes you walk by someone and you just get a drift, and you're like, it's very strong, and sometimes it's pleasant, and sometimes you're like, whoa, I'm glad I'm not by that person too much. But in this case, that's the idea here, is that there's a certain fragrance that our Christianity gives off when it is in us. Not just when we're like doing the outward things that Christians do, but when it is in us, in the fabric of our being. It's like we can't deny that. And that that comes out of us in our language and how we live, how we treat other people. Even when when we fail in sin, how we then go ask for forgiveness. It looks very different than the world. In in 2 Corinthians uh, 2, is a passage that helps us kind of see that. And and so I wanted to kind of make this a devotional study from the very beginning. So 2 Corinthians 2, look at, I'm just read verses 14 to 17. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, and to to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. So the same aroma to the one person is something sweet, to another person it's detestable. Paul acknowledges that. He uses that as an analogy. He's saying this aroma is an aroma of life to those who believe, but it is also an aroma of death to those who turn away from the gospel. That's a sobering, very sobering thought. As we know God more in truth, which is coming from his word, the more the aroma of Christ comes out. That means that some people are going to react positively. They're going to hear Christ through us, they're going to be attracted to Christ through us, and, and they're, perhaps the Lord will use us to draw them to saving faith. But others will catch that aroma and detest it and find it as an aroma of death because they are headed, because it's condemnation. You're speaking, your life is speaking condemnation upon you. And therefore, that's how they're seeing it. And God can change a person just because one person's right now is seeing it. One way doesn't mean they'll always see it that way. But it helps you understand why people react to you as you live out Christianity 
And that's why the world doesn't want you to live out your Christianity in the public square. That's why the world wants us to keep our Christianity to our house, which we cannot do if we're real Christians, because that, that aroma is to come out through all of life. So that's the purpose of studying something like bibliology, studying systematic theology, is to know God more. And bibliology drives into the Word of God. God has revealed himself through his word, so it's important that we understand what his word, what his word is. So the handout I gave you is just simply our, our, our doctrinal statement on what we believe, what we teach regarding bibliology. And I just want to read the first two paragraphs to kind of get us caught up. Uh, I'll comment on those, and then we'll dig into paragraph three. So what we teach about the Holy Scriptures. Remember, the overall, the overall point here is to see that the the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures are inerrant and infallible. They are the inerrant and infallible Word of God. And the Bible is our only sure guide to understanding God, man, sin, salvation, Christ, and how God wants us to live. So let me read these. First paragraph. We teach the Bible is God's written revelation to man, and thus the 66 books of the Bible given to us by the Holy Spirit constitute the plenary that is, that is inspired equally in all parts, Word of God. Second paragraph, we teach that the Word of God is an objective, propositional revelation, verbally inspired in every word, absolutely inerrant in the original documents, infallible and God-breathed. We teach the literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture, which affirms the belief that the opening chapters of Genesis present creation in six literal days. Let's move on to paragraph three. We teach that the Bible constitutes the only infallible rule of faith and practice. And there's scripture verses, and I'm just going to, well, you can listen. Um, and many of these I'm just going to read. It won't take time to actually say too much about them. Uh, Matthew 5, 18. They're all in the, all in the uh, doctrinal statement. When they come up. Matthew 5, 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, for, sorry, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And I think you've heard me say, and I'll just, I'll just repeat it, that, that when he says the smallest letter of the stroke, right, we're, we're talking about uh, something that if just one little part of a letter falls off of it, it's a different letter. So Jesus is claiming inspiration to his word down to the minute detail. So whether we look at the whole or whether we look at the small individual part, it's the inspired word of God. It's not going to pass away. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So verses like that teach us that even though we do not have the original autographer, that is the original, original letters uh, that were written by the inspired writers, that we nonetheless have a, the word of God in our hands. He has preserved it. When he, and he promises that he says, my words will not pass away. That is a promise, not only to give us the inspired word, but to protect and preserve the inspired word. We, we don't have what are called the autographa, that is the original writings of Moses, or the original writings of Paul, or the original writings of 1 Peter. And I'm convinced that the reason we don't have them is because if they did exist, we would make idols out of them, build a church building around it, and and worship those things. So God ensured that those originals are long gone, but through his providence, he has given us multiple copies 
of his word preserved. Uh, and men and women have worked hard at um, putting that together and assuring that we actually have the word of God today. The word of God today is actually the word of God. So the, the small little variances of fall, small areas that there's still some dispute on, it's not over any critical area of Christian doctrine, not, not a one. So we, we know that the Word of God is accurate and inspired. Um, we have more copies of it than any other historical document of that age and that vintage. So God has preserved His Word. Then John 10, 35 tells us that Scripture cannot be broken. Jesus says Scripture cannot be broken. John 10, 35. Then John 16, 12 to 13 here, uh, Jesus is promising his disciples. He says, I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So it's a promise that the Lord has given to, to inspire his disciples to write his word. So if you look at when the Gospels were written versus when they actually when they lived and when they were taught by Jesus, a lot of people have struggled saying, well, how did they remember so many details? How did they remember what Jesus exactly said? Well, the reason that they remembered is it's not human, it's supernatural. God gave them that, that word. And in fact, he gave them more things than what even Jesus taught them when he was here on earth. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. There's no falsehood in it. It's all true. And it's that truth which causes us to grow and to become conformed to the image of Christ. That's sanctification. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 12 to 13. We kind of already, uh, well, that's 1 Corinthians, sorry. Uh, 2, 12 to 13, and then tie in verse 16. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God, which of depths we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual depths and spirit with spiritual words, we have the mind of Christ. We looked at that some last time in, the, in this passage, or in our lesson last time, we looked at this passage. So the Holy Spirit has given us spiritual words. As He comes into our lives, He enables us to understand that word. So it's in in. In the light that the Lord provides us, we see his light. Before we're blind, uh, we're blinded, we're in the darkness, we can't see his light. When the Lord comes into our lives through the Holy Spirit, as we exercise faith in Jesus Christ, then he opens our eyes to see the light. And the Holy Spirit helps us. And that last phrase, we have the mind of Christ. That's a phenomenal statement. What Paul is saying is that we have not the, all the intricacies, not the comprehensive or exhaustive knowledge of Christ, but we have the mind of Christ concerning the things that he wants us to know revealed in the scriptures. That's, that's, a, that's a treasure. Then in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17, but you continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. So again, just talks about the, the role of Scripture, 
All scripture is God-breathed and it's given to instruct us, to train us, to correct us, to discipline us, to equip us to do what the Lord wants us to do. And in 2 Peter 1, 16 and 21, I'm going to hold off on that to talk about that in a minute, but just, just how it, this passage talking about how the, how the Holy Spirit moved men to write what he wanted them to write. So as we think about this, the, the Holy Spirit, God, has given us his word, his infallible word, he's preserved that word down to this age, that we have the word of God. In our culture, and let's just say our Christian culture, let's define that a little carefully. I want to ask you the question, what, what, in what ways does, the, do our, does our Christian society today, our Christian culture, use in a broad sense, how does our Christian culture undermine the, the truth that the Bible constitutes the only infallible rule of faith and practice? So that's what, that's what we teach, what do we believe, that's what the scriptures teach about themselves. It's the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Rule meaning like guidance. How does our culture erode that or attack that? I say culture, I don't mean the world or pagans. I'm talking about the Christian culture. Any ideas there? We misinterpret scripture. Okay, by being careless. Yeah. Like we just, whether we're um, doing it intentionally or twisting it. Some might do that, but also just others not just being careless in how we study the Word of God. That's, yeah, I would agree with that. What's another way? Yeah. Go ahead, Lisa. Um, uh, tradition. Okay, tradition. Um, appeals to authority other than Scripture. Okay. Uh, precedent, past precedent. So we've always done something one way, and that's how we should do it. Yeah, letting tradition kind of be a higher authority than, than the Word of God. How come? I was going to say just by not believing it. By not believing it. Yeah, there, there are passages of Scripture. That, like, there's some, like on the Gospel, you're like, hey, man, I believe that. And then you, like, you might hit another passage of Scripture that you don't like so much, like submit to your elders. Women teachers. Or women teachers. Or children might not like the one that says, honor your parents. You know, so it means just that there's passages of Scripture that really just just come and get right in our face and step on our toes, and we don't like that. So uh, we have to be very careful about that. What are some other ways? Okay, yeah, so we do need to be careful as we study the Word of God, because I think you're right, Betsy, that some people would say that those teachings are just for that culture and don't really apply to us now. So there are some teachings in the Bible that we could say are cultural. We have to be very careful when we do that, and the context will help us determine that. So it's using right hermeneutics to determine when something is, is cultural, uh, limited to that particular time period, and when something is a timeless principle, that God wants for all of his um, children. So we do have to be careful with that. There's some other ways. Yeah, Rhonda? If he meant the word isn't sufficient, then he extra. Yes. Yes. So thinking that the word of God is not sufficient. Right? The sufficiency of Scripture is really under attack in many different ways in Christianity. We've got to add some psychology. You got to have some equity, right? That's what that, that, that's what 
many of the churches saying today, right? They're saying, oh, you got yeah, you got to use these tools that are in the CRT area to help the church to grow. That that's that's an addition to the Word of God. Right? That's that that is an attack on the sufficiency of the Word of God. Right? So these are these are backdoor like backdoor attacks on the Word of God. Alex, you gonna say something? Yeah. I don't know how to phrase it correctly, but that we use external things like science and we bet the scripture to say, look, yeah, you see how they are similar. Like we like for example, creation, like well, you know, it's not necessarily six days, but it's it can be millions of years, but it's just a poetic way to Okay, so allowing science to overrule the word of God. So or to interpret the Word of God. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we've given very good examples over the last three years on how science changes. Right? Something that's supposed to be like really sure turns out not to be so sure. So you ought not to bet your eternity on something that's changing so quickly. Right? So the Word of God is accurate. Even when we can't understand how all that works out, the details of it, understand what's written and trust the word of God. What, what are some other ways? There's, again, we're not talking about the pagans. We're talking about those who would call themselves Christians. Well, they want to separate the God of the Old Testament from Jesus. Okay. The Testament. Yeah. Say that, well, God said that, but Jesus said this. Right. So there are those, right, there are those that want to bring a, a, a huge separation between the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament, Breath and God of the New Testament full of grace. They want to separate those, and it just shows you how ignorant they are of Jesus Himself that they would even say that. They would mold Jesus to, oh, these were the uh, social justice warriors of your time. Yes. Jesus is a social justice warrior. You know, if you saw some Super Bowl commercials, uh, he gets us. That's what they're doing. They're, they're molding Jesus into the image of who they want him to be, but they're doing so in ignorance of the scriptures. Most people claim to be Christians. So somebody, if I want to say a little bit more contemporary to us, mm-hmm. that they have better understanding than the people that wrote the Bible. So, or it's Joseph Smith that he thinks that he has more enlightenment than, than the, apostles. the author of scripture. So yeah, some some Christians, again, we're talking professing Christians would say that they would they would actually say that Paul was a chauvinist when he wrote. First Timothy, and uh, he's good on Galatians, but on second, you know, First Timothy, he's he's a chauvinist. So they they think they're standing in judgment above the scriptures and making a determination, which is a very dangerous place to be. This is good, good. We haven't exhausted the list. Isn't it sad? Um, one is just ignoring scripture. That I thought of. We have the Word of God. People bled and died. So we can have the Word of God. And yet, what's that? They don't read it. They don't read it. Yeah. And it's it's like that is the only infallible rule that God has given us for life, learning how to live in his principles. And yet so many Christians just ignore it. It's an attack. Uh, we, we mentioned some of these seeking to add or take away from Scripture. Of course, many, especially conservative Christians, won't admit to this. And especially they won't take away, but, but sometimes there are strict rules that they lay down are adding to the Word of 
an attack on the sufficiency of the word of God. If God had wanted us to wear a hair length, certain certain length, he would have said. He did. So if he wanted women's dresses to be a certain length, he would have said it. He just says be modest. So those are those are backdoor attacks. I would I would say another way is by Christians today seeking additional revelation. When Christians think that they need an additional revelation from the Word of God, it is an attack on the sufficiency of the Word of God. Another one that we maybe we would be more prone to be guilty of, that is making decisions based on our feelings rather than the principles of the Word of God. And, and I, I referenced a sermon from Don Green several weeks ago where he really hit home on this. Evangelical church is really guilty of, of this, and they're making decisions based on how they feel. And they would attribute that feeling sometimes to God. Sometimes it's just that we're doing the right thing. But it's the same type of philosophy that the world has, has um, adopted when they say, when a man can say he's a woman now, he feels like a woman. And so, therefore, he is. And you're being asked to acknowledge and, and to affirm him as a woman because he feels like a woman. But many Christians make decisions because they feel that it's right. Philosophy is no different. They think it is, but it's no different. And, and so we need to be guarded against, against these type of things. And even need to, like, even watch our language because sometimes even I'll say, well, I feel like this is the right interpretation of Scripture. We just need to remove the word feeling from talking about Scripture completely. Because Scripture isn't about feeling. We have feelings. But, but we really need to think carefully about the word of God. The, the, these are, this is not an exhaustive list. Yeah, we can take things out of context. There's some famous examples of that. But we, we have to pay attention carefully when we study the word of God. So that's that's part of our our hermeneutics is is that uh, literal grammatical historical interpretation of scripture is so important. Yes, please. Can I just add to the the feelings that, uh, relying on those as authoritative? Also, so-called spiritual experiences. I mean, I I hear that so much now in Christianity. Um, people have experiences they can't explain, or and, and those become authoritative. Right. So spiritual experiences coming in and, and kind of trumping what the Word of God says. Have you ever you ever heard this? You ever been talking to someone about something? You're using the Scripture, and you're talking to them about something that's going on in their life, or you know, just to process something, and and they want to pursue something, and they use the word, "Well, well, we prayed about it, and we we feel like this is what." That's, that's a trump card. You can't argue with that, right? But it's feelings-based, again. It's a feelings-based philosophy. And, and so we have to guard against this. Yeah, Ron? Okay, yes, I feel at peace. Correct. Yeah, that's, that's along, the, along the same lines. Anthony? Right? Yeah, that's... God speaking, 
and they claim that God spoke to you. Again, it's another one of those trump cards. Like, well, if God did, I it, you better obey it. But we know that He's not doing that. But when people claim to do that, they're, they're saying that you, there's really no no arguing. You just say, "Be quiet," because God told me so. So you, you have to be wrong. Hakum. If I may ask, is there a place? Where is the place? I guess for subjective feelings. For let's say I feel like I'm being called to the mission. Sure. So what is the place of feeling? So the example Hakum gave is, I feel like I'm being called to the mission field. But I think that is something that you can you can pray about. There's that subjective. And I, I would say that if you think about it more accurately, it's not just a feeling. If it's just a feeling, it'll go away tomorrow. If it's a feeling, then you can ignore it. Don't act on it. If God is calling you, if God's calling you to be a pastor or be a missionary, then, then it's going to be more than just a feeling. It's going to be conviction. It's going to be a burden. right? So you say a burden is it carries some emotional baggage, doesn't it, when you have a burden? It's not just mental burden. It's also a, an emotional burden because God's made us Spiritual, emotional beings. So there's there there is a there's a place for that. But I think what what we don't want to do is get to the place. If you have a feeling like that, or you're thinking that you you have a burden about being a missionary, that's where you get involved with the local church and you you serve faithfully. You get involved with with the pastor and elder, asking them to help vet your life to see if you're qualified to be a missionary or a pastor and that you get that objective, um, uh, what do I say, the objective evaluation that our confirmation that you're called to the mission field. So it's not just subjective. Where it's dangerous is where people pursue the, the kind of the missionary um, pursuit when the, when the local church says, no, we don't think so. We don't think you're called to the mission field. And yet the person goes anyway because they think, well, I have this feeling. Doesn't mean the church is right, but it ought to give the individual. The individual better have good reasons for not listening to the church. Like I said, churches aren't infallible with this. There's some good examples in missionary history where missionary or missionaries wanted to go and were burdened to go, and a local church said, "No, we don't think so. We don't. We don't need to be doing that." It wasn't really the individual so much as it is the cause. So. Modern missions movement was born by such people like that. And that's where mission agencies came from because of the failure of the local church to carry those things out. Um, so. Well, you can also go the other way where you don't do something because the Lord didn't speak to you and tell you to do it. You don't do something because. You don't do something because the, the Lord or the Holy Spirit didn't tell you to do it. Okay. You know, Right thing to do, the loving thing to do is this, but but he didn't tell me to do that, so I'm not. Okay, so waiting until until you know the Holy Spirit will tell you to do something would be what some people would claim. You're, you're correct. Like with the Word of God, the Word of God tells us in Matthew 18. That's what we've been studying, hearing. It's fresh in my mind. The Word of God tells us, you know, if your brother sins, you go to him. Right? Some people might say, well, if God wants me to go to him, I'll, you know, 
he, he's going to give me a burden or, you know, he's, yeah, he's going he's gonna to speak to me or something. He's, he's already spoken. What did you say, Betsy? That's right. That's right. So if you need to hear him out, you know, if you need to hear God's voice out loud, just open to Matthew 18 and read it out loud to yourself. And that's it. Um, but I just, I just wanted to help us see this. This, these doctrines are very, very practical. They, they, they this is where rubber meets the road when on our daily lives. It's not just some, we talk about bibliology and we talk about the Bible being the only infallible rule and guide for, for life. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky doctrine. So that, that doctrine, if you really hold to it, helps you have a healthy, I say healthy, spiritually healthy relationship with the Lord when that doctrine is part of the fabric of our lives. You're not, you're not trying to read the tea leaves. You're not trying to, to evaluate your feelings. How am I feeling like a you're making a decision, right? You're going to the Word of God, and you're praying. You're taking it to the Lord, asking Him for wisdom. So, let me let me just pause for a minute. Just just praise our Lord for giving us His infallible. <coughs> our Lord God, we want to just praise you. You're the God of truth, the God of mercy and love, and we just want to praise and exalt you. Just thank you so much for your your grace that you have given us your Word, your perfect Word your inerrant word, and Lord, you have preserved your word in, in ways that are, um, are just very complex, and yet the as we stand here today holding English translations of your word, Lord, we can be confident that we have indeed the word of God, that we know what you have said with, with confidence because you have preserved your word. Oh God, please just work in our lives to drive this doctrine deeper into our lives so that we wouldn't be one of those who who attacks the Word of God, the sufficiency of the Word of God, or the, the authority of the Word of God. Lord, help us to turn to the Word of God um, as a more regular practice in making decisions and guiding how we live our lives. Lord God, we just praise and exalt you and just, just thank you for your loving kindness to us. Lord, help us to give off the aroma of Jesus Christ and his way you use us to bring people to know you. It's the name of Jesus who pray. Amen. Now I think what I'm going to do is stop there because I don't have enough time to get into the other one and still end on time. Uh, I appreciate the discussion because these things are very rich and very Applicable. So it's okay with me if we go slower and talk about how these things, how these things apply. The good news is we're stopping here is I have time for questions. So you have questions. Yes. You talk about emotions. We certainly don't want to make subjective decisions based on I feel this way. Maybe my your sin might be pushing you in one direction against the word of God. But we'll say when it comes to actually reading the Bible, I don't think there's. I think it's right to read it with. Uh, some sort of intense emotion, joy, fear, anticipation. How's the Holy Spirit speaking to me through these pages that He wrote? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, when I read certain passages in Revelation, I just, I was just, yeah, I shudder. Yeah, so I decide. Yeah, I pause and reflect. We're just being a human. Yeah. So, so when we say we're not 
driven by emotions or making decisions by emotions. So I, I don't want to give the impression that we should be emotional. So I totally, I totally agree with you, Jeremy. So as we read the Word of God, you know, like like you said, there's there's going to be times where it's of conviction. So there's that conviction of sin in our lives, where there's a heavy weight that we realize that you disobeyed our Lord, and so you confess that to Him and. Give that over to him, and he lifts that burden off you, which brings joy. There's other passages talking about the love of God or the grace of God, or just brings your 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 emotions to to great height, right? And it's you know it's like our our soul is tied to this, and our emotions come along for the ride. So much so that even if our circumstances are really horrible, we can still rejoice. Right? Paul says that when he was in prison facing. Difficulties, or you could say, rejoice. So we are emotional beings. So don't misunderstand what I'm what I'm saying. Now, some people will say that they feel guilty. I'll use that word. And, that, and if someone says that, you think that, or someone you hear someone say that, generally you can say well, you feel guilty, probably because you are guilty. There's a legal status and there's a feeling status, right? And sometimes your conscience can be misinformed, or you think you're guilty and you're not of, of sin against God. But there's other times where, you're, where you feel guilty because you are. So you need to confess sin to the Lord or to someone else and, and reconcile what's, what's going on. So God has given us our conscience for a reason. Our conscience works with our mind, but it also impacts how we feel. So it, it's, uh, we're a complex beings, uh, physical and spiritual in one. And those, the way those connect sometimes is not always clear to us. So thanks for that clarification. Yeah, Michelle. So I'm trying to see how to word this. I might say, um, I feel like when I was reading today, the Lord, you know, really pressed upon me sin in this area. But I'm not thinking heavily about the word feel, because right. my heart is needing to say, God just convicted me of what I just read. Right. So could it be more or less of a word issue and more of a heart issue? Because I guarantee you, y'all probably gonna hear me say, "Yeah, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want us to get too, too. Um, what do I want to say? Too on guard with the words when we talk about feel. I, I there's definitely the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He brings conviction, and that along with that um, is that is that a sense of feeling. What I'm arguing for is that we not be that we not solely go on that. So we not allow that to overrule the Word of God. So when the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, there is a weight there. When you see a brother or sister in Christ in sin, there's, there's a weight there. And there's an emotional battle going on within you because you want to go help, but in some cases you know it's not going to go well, and it's going to just get kind of emotionally difficult. So... The Holy Spirit works in our lives, and He's alive. And sometimes He He'll He'll cause a thought to come to your head, where you just you just have to go help somebody, or do something, or say something to somebody. You sometimes don't know whether that's you thinking that or the Holy Spirit thinking that. Sometimes until after the fact, and sometimes we don't even know. So that's where I would say you just have to we have to be cautious and be guided by the Word of God. That makes sense? Yeah, we can use the word feeling around here. 
It's okay. Just in the right way. Anthony, you're going to say something. It's different, you know, basing everything, being convicted as we're reading the Bible versus some of the Christian walking around who doesn't read the Bible saying, I feel this, I feel this. Things what you can Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's really just become, it's, it's the lazy Christian's method-making decisions. Well, I, I, I feel at peace, like Rhonda said, or I feel at peace with this, or I, I feel like this is the right thing for me to do. It's, it's, it's okay to feel like you're doing the right thing, but have more an objective, sound faith than just that. Like, search the scriptures to see if there are any scriptures that apply to your situation, and use those, and that will confirm your feelings. Because sometimes our feelings will lead us totally astray. So that's why we have to go back to the Word. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, Use scriptures to confirm your feelings or correct your feelings. Feelings are are not flawless guides. Anything else? Any comments or questions? So do you think this whole revival in Kentucky is a bunch of emotional feelings or a combination, or do you think it's really the Holy Spirit remeeting people's lives? What do I think about the Ashbury revival? (laughs) Um, I think that the Holy Spirit works in ways and in means and times which are not always explainable. And if you... uh, referenced some of Jonathan Edwards on Sunday in that eBridge article. He wrote a lot on it, and I have not read all of it, and I'd like to read more. Jonathan Edwards spent much time defending the revival against the critics of the revival. And no one today doubts the Great Reformation, the Awakening, but there were critics of it even at that time. Now, Jonathan Edwards would say that there were some feelings-based stuff going on. And in fact, some of those people that went through the awakening and had some emotional experience ended up worse after the fact because they didn't experience conversion. But many people were actually converted. So we talk about awakening or, or revival. Let's just say what it is. It's conversion. It's people coming to know Christ. And Christianity today has such a poor theology that it can't think through things carefully. So they would look at this as like some kind of um, um, rededication of their life or some emotional experience. They don't understand progressive revelation, so they're looking for some experience. That's why so many people are flocking there, thinking that the Holy Spirit's working and there's some mag- something magical going on. If we could just get down there, we, we too can experience it. Well, you do not need that. That, again, is an attack on the Word of God. Holy Spirit is within you, so if you are converted, then allow him to work through his word. So there could be some, all I have to say is with what's going on, there could be genuinely people coming to saving faith in Christ and their lives being radically changed. I, I don't know. But I do know that there's also another element to this that is not good. You've got emotionalism. Uh, revival is not sitting around for two weeks singing praise songs with an acoustic guitar. So uh, revival also is is not like casting out demons or there's demonic stuff going on down there. So if you've seen some of the videos, well, I certainly have. So when the Holy Spirit works, there's always a counter movement by, by the devil. 
So um, I'm a little suspicious because Ashbury is not necessarily really conservative and it has a history of these things. So it's very uh, suspect. But nonetheless, God could still be doing something genuine. But it will be done through his word, by people coming to true saving faith, those people being added to churches, those people being faithful. So time, time will tell. Right now, I think it's, it's uh, like too soon to tell, to tell what it is. I mean, if, if they are genuinely coming closer to the Lord through, uh, through his word, people are being saved, taking his word seriously when they haven't before, that's great. Some of the problems are you've got people that are in the LGBTQ movement that are part of the, the leaders of this whole thing. Even though the college has a much different stance. You know, sometimes a university can have a, a stance over here, but it's not enforced. So it seems like there's some of that going on there. There was another hand up. Somewhere. I was just going to say, we know a pastor who went down there to see if there was any type of herb soil, and he was very discouraged. Yep. Um, so we didn't get good feedback on what was going on. Yeah, so, yeah, just it's another witness, first-hand account. But I, I don't want to discount the whole thing, but at the same token, I want, do want to be uh, skeptical. The Holy Spirit you know, doesn't, doesn't need um, a big group together to work. Uh, sometimes it happens. Uh, you know, I'm, again, I, I'm a little skeptical. Anthony? So you know, I've um, got a question the podcast, but on a YouTube video today talking about it. That's all I've heard about it. And uh, they said, similar way of saying, you don't know if it's good or bad, but he did say he had one account that somebody trusted pretty much that kind of agreed it was not too bad. So it yeah. kind of <laughs> so, so maybe there's some good. There, there could be. I think it's, it's, it's just a. Uh, a circus down there with the news and so many people going and you know even today there are some high profile not so good teachers that were going down there that, that alone doesn't discredit it um, but it's just um, you know you have to understand that some churches have revival every year it's on the calendar so what, what people understand as revival is very different. True revival is conversion of souls. That's true revival. So, all right, let me cut it off there, and I'll pray. If you have other questions, feel free to catch me afterwards. Our Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of revival. You're a God who brings life out of death. And we just thank you for rescuing us. And just ask that you use us as ambassadors for Christ, that, that Lord God, that we would see the power of God at work, saving souls, even here in the land. We do pray, Lord, for what's going on in Ashbury and other places, Lord, that you would help just uh, sift through what's true, what's false, and Lord, that uh, men and women would truly come to know you, they'd repent of their sins and trust Christ and be converted and saved. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.